Welcome to the Power Podcast and our 2020 theme, Power Perspective. I'm your host, Malia Warner, discussing topics to broaden our perspective by looking at life issues in a new way. This is episode 61, three things to tell kids about COVID-19. Hi, friends, and welcome. If you are sick to death of hearing about COVID-19 or coronavirus, I know where you're coming from. I'm getting a little discussion weary of the topic myself. Then you might want to turn off this episode and move on to another topic because there are other things going on in the world, not just the coronavirus. However, if you or one of your children are dealing with the disappointment of canceled events due to COVID-19, then today's episode offers perspective you can share with your family, your neighbors, about handling the social changes we're all experiencing. As I'm recording, today is Saturday, March 14th, 2020. It is Pi Day 3.14. Happy Pi Day, everyone. Although I think a lot of us have forgotten in the craziness that's going on. What a week. So in my neck of the woods, I live in the western United States, the state of Utah, and I'm south of Salt Lake. And this week began, Sunday, Monday began pretty much normal. And then by, I'm trying to remember if it was Monday, I think it was Monday or Tuesday night, my boys started watching our jazz basketball team. They were in Oklahoma, ready to play, ready for the tip-off. Doctor came onto the floor, spoke with the refs, cleared everyone off of the floor. Turned out our jazz player, Rudy Rudy Gobert, had tested that day positive for COVID-19. And so they quarantined all of the players from both teams in the stadium and had them all tested. And then domino reaction, the NBA ended up canceling or at least postponing any other games. As of right now, there are no NBA basketball games being played. It had already been announced that there would not be any spectators watching the March Madness college basketball tournament. And then during this week, that changed to none of those games were going to be played either. Now, as of yesterday, just Friday, our school has been canceled for the next two weeks, possibly longer. We don't really know yet. And a lot of events being canceled. And I wanted to address that because we've had some disappointment here in our house. My high school student was disappointed that his math competition was canceled. Now that's another illness entirely. If you're sad that you don't get to take a math test, that's a different kind of illness entirely. And I have no advice on the topic. My elementary school student is disappointed. His wax museum has been postponed. He's in fifth grade and fifth grade is the year they go to their Clear Creek camp out. That's the big adventure for elementary school. We don't know if that will be happening this year or not. My junior high son was disappointed because his state band festival was canceled. They've been rehearsing their music so long. It's a day when it's a field trip. They get excused absences. They get to ride on a bus with their band friends and go perform the music that they've been practicing. And he was really disappointed that he just had to go to a regular day of school that day. In addition, his spring soccer season has been indefinitely postponed. So there are these kind of things going on. I've heard of a lot of friends and people who have tickets to concerts, plays, sporting events that have been canceled. One of my ultimate favorite places in the world outside of home, the local library, our local library is now closed. 
I think of students who have been practicing, rehearsing, preparing for years. Our local university, Brigham Young University, their basketball team had an amazing season and a great chance at making it to the Sweet 16 for the first time in however many years. And my heart breaks, especially thinking about the seniors who this is their last season of their college career in a sport that has been their life from the first time that they ever played community rec basketball. And that's just one example. There are dance competitions. Maybe your child landed their favorite all-time role in the spring musical. There's definitely some real disappointment and real heartbreak here. So what can we say to our kids? And that's the goal, the purpose of today's podcast episode is to have a discussion about the impact that we're seeing from the coronavirus and explore some different perspective options and what of those perspectives are going to be the most helpful and which of those perspectives are probably going to create more fear and do more harm than good. Are we feeding our kids on a frenzy of fear or are we empowering them with hope and proactiveness? So let's start first with three things not to say to kids and then go into three things to say to kids about the coronavirus. So three things not to say. I am not saying that these things are wrong. I am not saying that they're false. I'm just suggesting that saying these things might cause more harm than good. Number one, saying that this coronavirus spread is a sign of the end of the world. There's a tendency for people who believe in the New Testament, for Christians, who are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ and who believe in the prophecies of John in the book of Revelation to jump on the, this is the sign of the end of the days bandwagon. The bottom line, it could be. It could happen tomorrow. I don't know and you don't know. So my question is, if we don't know, then what good can it serve by saying it? Does it help us really to be more prepared or more fearful? I remember growing up in the Cold War when Russia was our mortal enemy. Apologies to any Russian friends listening out there, but you remember the 1980s. It was the Cold War. And I heard often that it was the last days, that it was the end of the world. And I remember being awake at night in my bedroom, terrified, my brain going crazy, thinking about, imagining, trying to just, from my limited perspective, frame what that would look like, what the end of the world would look like, and what impact it would have upon me. And here I am, 30 plus years later, and now there is no more Cold War. I remember the same kind of feeling with the Gulf War and Saddam Hussein and feeling like that was going to be the breakout of World War III. Then remember Y2K for all of you who lived through the change from the 1999 date to 2000. Wow, I mean, talk about a frenzy. We really were watching the clock, waiting for it to turn to midnight, expecting that everything would 
explode or implode or that the computers would all fuse out. And I think we just didn't know what to expect. It was an unknown. In my lifetime, I've also experienced the technology bubble burst. And 9-11, my husband came home from work on Thursday and he said, the feeling of this day reminds me of the feeling of September 12th, 2001. That feeling of unknown. We can't predict or even comprehend the full ramifications of what's going on. I remember watching the towers fall and being glued to the television and thinking that our world was going to change completely, that maybe we wouldn't even have an economy anymore and we would all revert to living in tents and being an agrarian society, everyone growing our own food. It felt that uncertain to me, that unknown. And then in 2008, we experienced the housing market crash. And I bring these things up as a reminder that we've experienced unknown things as a country, as a world before. We've lived through scary unknowns. It boils down to, it might be the end of the world. It might not. No one knows. So why say that it is? Does it do any good? Does it make us any better about planning our lives, about living, about looking for solutions if we believe it's the end of the world? I kind of think that I would rather plan to live and be surprised by dying than plan to die and be surprised by living. I want my kids to be able to plan their futures with all the hope and optimism that should come with youth. So just some thoughts there, no right or wrong, but maybe just some thoughts to be careful about what comes out and how you sound about gloom and doom of end of the world. Number two thing not to say to your kids. Again, not wrong, not false, just some thoughts here. And that is saying this is Satan's fault. Again, it might be, it might not be. I don't know, neither do you. So why give the guy the credit? What if it's biology? What if we all have physical bodies and there are such things as bacteria and viruses that we are susceptible to? What if this has nothing to do with a conspiracy theory or a terrorist attack or a plan of the devil? Sure, it could, but the truth is, we don't know. So I get to choose which way to think, and I'm going to choose the mindset that empowers rather than cripples me. I'm going to choose the thoughts that help me take my actions and help my family live in an environment of calm and confidence rather than fear and unknown. I do believe there are ways to educate and empower our children about evil in the world and how to be resilient and watchful for it. And I don't think one of those ways is by labeling any tricky human situation that comes up as a grand evil plan by a terrorist, a conspirator, or the devil to overtake us. The reason terrorism is called terrorism is because the acts are bred to incite fear. And terrorists are most successful if they generate huge amounts of fear frenzy, and terror. So the best way to combat 
terror is to be optimistic and to not be afraid. I absolutely believe that as a collective of humans, that we are smarter, stronger, braver than any act of evil. You can call me an optimist and I will take it as a compliment. I believe in the power of hope, faith, and goodwill over evil any day. Third thing not to say to children, this is a tough one. Again, not right or not wrong, just a way to think about it. It's to not politicize the virus. Something like this happens and the Democrats say that it's all the Republicans' fault and the Republicans say that it's all the Democrats' fault. And what good does that do? If we're divided and fighting against each other, then we cannot fight for each other in finding the solutions that help us all. I really look forward to the day when we stop dividing our world into two camps, where one side is always good and always right, and the other side is always bad and always wrong. I will bet money that there is good and bad and right and wrong on both sides, just as there is good and bad and right and wrong inside of me. I believe we cripple our children when we place blame on one side. Why? Because we are essentially teaching them to spend time and resources looking for where to place blame rather than on where to find solutions. And that mindset of placing blame will replicate in their marriage, their workplaces, their social networks. Are we raising kids to be blamers or solvers? So just some thoughts this next couple of weeks when you're not going to your soccer games and you're not going to your concerts and you're not watching basketball games and have lots of extra time to talk, just some thoughts on being attentive of what comes out of the mouth. We need good discussions. We need neutral discussions. And I don't mean... Ah, think positively, everything will be okay. I'm not talking about turning a blind eye to reality. And I don't think our kids really buy that either. They want to know facts. They want to know what's really going on. So what are three things that we can say to our children that will empower and help them to have faith that everything is going to turn out okay? Let's move now to three perspectives three empowering approaches that we can take when our kids ask questions or when they're disappointed, when they want to know what's going to happen. I'm just going to say what all three are and then we'll give some examples and talk about them. Number one is the principle of a little hard now, easier later, easy now, a lot harder later. Number two, looking at the big picture and talking facts about COVID-19. And number three, asking kids, what's the alternative? Would you rather have this or would you rather have the alternative? Okay, let's dive in. Number one, I love this principle. This is a one size fits all principle that you can double up in multiple different areas. Today, we're going to use it in talking about the coronavirus. So this is the principle that things that we do that are a little hard now become easier later. But if we choose easy now, then later we're setting ourselves up for much harder. 
The universal example of this that we can all relate to is diet and exercise, right? It's hard now to exercise and to eat nutritiously, to turn down that donut, that second piece of chocolate cake. That's hard to do now. But when I do the hard now, later my life will be easier. Switch it around. The easy thing to do now is to not exercise, to be sedentary, to eat anything that I want. But then later, my life is going to be harder. It's going to be harder to move. I'm going to lack energy. I'm not going to sleep as well. I'm going to have complications of heart disease or diabetes or weak bones. This is a super nifty power principle. It's a great principle to teach kids. It's a principle I use myself all the time. When I think, oh, this is so hard, I just tell myself, okay, I can do it now and it's going to be hard or I can put it off and I'm still going to have to do it and it will be harder later. So I can do the hard now or I can choose the harder later because the truth is something may be hard now, but if we put it off, it will be more hard later. And this is exactly what we're facing with the coronavirus. It is hard to cancel our concerts and sporting events and school, it's really an inconvenience in a lot of ways. However, if we don't do it now, we are going to be facing much, much harder circumstances several months away. And we'll discuss that a little bit more as we go into number two, which is to look at the big picture. So our kids, we do this too. We are the center of our own world, aren't we? We really feel like we are the sun and all of the planets rotate around us. And sometimes it's good to just step back and get the global perspective. And this is an opportunity to have a discussion of facts with our children. So my boys, as they've come up this week and had questions, or sometimes I'll just say to them, what do you understand about coronavirus? What do you think? You know, what's going on? And I really try to be careful that our conversations are not lectures to them. I don't tell them that they're wrong in feeling disappointed. It is disappointing. I definitely empathize with that. It's, it's disappointing to have plans change. So it's not a lecture. It's more a discussion on, oh, that is disappointing. What do you think about it? And do you understand why? And then it gives us a chance to talk about what's going on with COVID-19. So let's talk about it here. Is this an overreaction? Is this a media frenzy? Do we really need to be closing down our schools and canceling March Madness? Is it that big of a deal? And this is the part of the podcast where I give the disclaimer that I am not a medical expert. I'm not an infectious disease expert by any means. I'm just representing perspectives that can be more helpful to our families during this unknown time. So I'm not your go-to source on the most to-date stats and facts, but I've done enough research to have a good general idea of what is going on. So how is the coronavirus different? We've heard that the death toll isn't really high and that there are still more people dying from influenza and even tuberculosis than from coronavirus. So what's really the big deal? And the answer is 
If you think back about the SARS epidemic that happened in 2003, that really largely stayed in Asia. It didn't really spread too far away. Think also more recently the Ebola virus and that epidemic. That also didn't really spread outside of Africa. The COVID-19, the difference is it is jumping borders. It is a virus that is traveling. And then once it gets in the country, it's being spread community to community. So it really is far more of a global virus than anything else that we've ever seen. The flu has a season. It's October to February. In our society, our medical systems pretty much know what to anticipate with the flu from year to year, how many hospitalizations there are going to be, the treatment that's going to be required, and then they can kind of count on that at the end of the season, the flu is going to pitter out. The coronavirus does not have a season. My understanding is that it can go year round, and so we aren't going to be able to count on the summer months lessening the spread. It is pretty fascinating to look at numbers of how fast this virus can get out of hand. And I will put the link in the show notes to um, a couple of articles, one from NPR that show some graphs of how it has spread in the world. And the two cases that we're really learning from have been Iran and Italy. They were both countries that were very lackadaisical about the disease to the point that the Iran deputy health minister was coughing into the microphone on national television as he was speaking about coronavirus and mocking it, not taking it seriously. And then he later tested positive for the virus. Iran went from having under 50 cases to within two weeks having over 9,000 cases. Italy on leap day this year, so just barely the end of February, Italy had 322 confirmed cases. One week later, they had 2,500 cases. So if I could go pull in my son who was so disappointed about missing his math competition, he would tell us the math of that is that it was almost 10 times, that it multiplied by 10 times in a one week period. And then by March 11th, they had over 10,000 cases. And now they've begun taking the drastic measures. And if you've seen the news coverage, the streets of Italy are completely isolated, quarantined, locked in the house. And the hardest thing, the most heartbreaking thing is the Italian doctors who do not have enough ventilators for the sick patients they have to choose who's going to get a ventilator and who doesn't. And that's a hard position to be in. So if you think about the potential rate that it can duplicate 10,000 cases in one week becoming 100,000 cases, in another week becoming a million cases, and within a few short months, you have an overtaxed, overburdened hospital system. In our country, we have experienced a housing market crash, we have experienced a technology crash, but we have never experienced a healthcare crash. And I think about what happens to the pregnant moms who need to deliver a baby and the hospitals are so overburdened 
that doctors aren't available or her risk of having a baby in a hospital and contracting the coronavirus on top of it, it's terrifying. And the risk to the newborn, what about patients undergoing cancer treatment or dialysis or any kind of standard regular medical need. You're in a car accident and you get hospitalized for a little while. It really completely changes our perspective about the inconvenience of what we're going through now when we think of the bigger picture, the larger ramifications that could happen if we weren't to take such drastic measures now. Just this morning, I needed to take my 10-year-old to the pediatrician. He's been sick. He's been out of school. We haven't been worried that it's the coronavirus because we haven't traveled or been exposed. And there still are far more cases of the common cold and the flu and strep throat and the other typical stuff going around than corona. So I wasn't worried about that, but he wasn't getting better and I needed to get him into a doctor. I waited in line on my phone for an hour just to be able to speak with my pediatrician's office so they could determine which of their locations I needed to go to because they've, and I think that they have done an amazing job. They have one location specifically designated for any respiratory issues. And because my son did have a cough, then he had to go to that clinic. And then they were keeping their other locations available to be eye infections and pinworm and regular immunizations and well child visits and all of the other kind of standard stuff. And so, due to the coronavirus, it was a bit of an ordeal to get to a doctor this morning. Not near, I am not complaining because not near as much an ordeal as it could be six months from now if I did have a seriously sick child and was severely limited. What if I had to wait days for my child to be able to see a doctor? What if we had to wait weeks for our loved one to be able to get any kind of medical treatment? I heard today of a family planning a funeral. The elderly grandma had passed away of natural causes, but they aren't sure what to do about holding a funeral. Do they go ahead and have it and have everyone gather together? Or do they wait a little while and then do a memorial celebrating her life? And I was thinking, yeah, those are hard decisions right now. But Months from now, how many more funerals could we be planning? Or would we not be able to attend? How many loved ones would we be burying without being able to do any kind of gathering and any kind of a memorial? Because up to now, it has been the elderly who have been at the highest risk with the coronavirus. It does put it into perspective, doesn't it? The missed concerts, the missed math competitions, those things are hard. They are a little hard, but they're doable. And they're not near as hard as what we will be doing, what we would be doing months from now, if we didn't choose to do the little hard now. Okay, number three and final perspective, final approach that you can take when having a discussion with family about COVID-19 is to ask them to consider the alternatives. Again, this is one of my favorite nifty tools I pull out of my back pocket all the time is inviting my kids to consider the alternatives when perhaps if they're complaining about what I'm serving for dinner, 
I can say, oh, you don't have to eat this. You can eat dog food. Or no, you don't have to eat that. You can eat the leftover tuna fish casserole that's three weeks old in the fridge. Or that's okay. You don't have to eat that. You can go ahead and go to bed and not eat. Just help invite them to consider alternatives. Because when it seems like your current option is so bad, sometimes you just need to be reminded of what other alternatives are available. And then your current option starts looking a little bit better. Same thing with chores. If kids complain about cleaning their room, then I say, you don't have to clean your room. The field outside really needs the thistles pulled out of it. I got this from my piano teacher growing up. If her kids complained about practicing piano or about cleaning their rooms, she would say, oh, you can clean the attic or you can clean the basement because nobody wanted to do that. So when the current option's looking pretty bleak, just a little reminder what the alternatives are. And I do think this is what our healthcare providers are trying to do at this time is watch and learn from other countries to see how they've handled and how they've reacted to their cases of coronavirus. Hong Kong and Singapore have done an amazing job instigating similar things of voluntary closures. Both Hong Kong and Singapore were some of the very first countries hit, some of the earliest documented cases of COVID-19, and they currently today don't have any more than 200 cases each. So they've really been able to keep it in check. Compared to, for example, South Korea, who is approaching 8,000 cases. So just a little perspective on, yeah, this is hard right now, but what are the alternatives? We can do this right now, or a few months from now, we will have to completely stay inside, no friends over, no small group gatherings, no seeing grandma and grandpa whatsoever, a lot of possible catastrophes in hospitals and with the healthcare. And this isn't to be gloom and doom. This is about trying to gather facts, make observations, and make the best possible proactive decisions. And to finish the episode today, I want to leave with what I think is a really interesting perspective. And that is this amazing opportunity we've been given to put life on pause. We have been given an unexpected pocket of time, kind of bonus time. It's a little bit like having Christmas vacation, but we don't have to put up any decorations or shop for presents or bake neighbor treats. It can be a really amazing time to ponder, to reconnect, to recharge. It's interesting because it coincides with my church is soon to be celebrating the 200th year since the commemorative event that began the religion, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's fascinating to me that it's coinciding with this time. And I'm going to do a podcast episode about it next week. So I won't go into a lot of detail about it other than to say we can go into this mandatory pause, frenzied and fearful and resentful and grumpy and angry and placing blame on all of the evil political conspiring devils who have connived this virus to ruin our lives. That is a possible thought. That is a possible mindset. 
or we can go into this pause open and grateful and peaceful and take advantage of this time to reconnect. I just have to say, I'm going to get a little spiritual here. I just wonder if God, if the universe has something really important to tell the world right now and that the best way to do it is to just put everybody on pause, everybody except the poor hospital medical people who are working around the clock to figure out testing and cures. But for the rest of us, you know, being able to put things on pause for a little while so that maybe we'll slow down and we won't have soccer games to be loud and cheer for. We won't have all of the events that we need to be in our cars driving to. And maybe that will give us just a little extra time and space to listen. And I'm kind of curious what's going to happen. But in any case, it is all up to us. The mindset that we choose in approaching what is happening, especially moms, we are the thermostats for the emotions of our family. We set the emotional gauge. And if we're fearful, they will be fearful. And if we are angry and resentful and grumpy, our families will be angry and grumpy and resentful. So I hope that talking about this and looking at some of the different perspectives has been helpful. And if nothing else, I hope this episode has given you some new perspective. I'm Malia Warner. Thank you for joining me on this episode. I will meet you back here next week for another episode of The Power Podcast. Until then, stay well, stay healthy, stay happy. Bye-bye.